0: I don't think too many kids listen to this podcast, but this one is definitely not for them. So parents, if you're listening to this with your little ones, turn it off. And kids, if you're still listening, congratulations for being forward-thinking and more mature for your age. But if you want Santa to come this year, you'd better turn it off now. Not joking. Seriously, if you're still listening, this means no gifts. You want to risk it, go ahead. But don't cry on Christmas morning. You were warned.
1: The most important question of our time is
0: Do you see what I see? No, seriously. Is your red the same red as my red? Or is it green or blue? Do you see what I see? This qualia is driving me insane Cause perception happens in the
1: brain our experience is even the same
0: oh, black Welcome to the Weird Christmas Podcast, I'm Craig Kringle No little Billy, Santa isn't the one who puts your gifts under the tree That's us But look, that doesn't mean that Santa isn't real Santa is absolutely real He's the spirit of giving in all of us Mommy and I really are Santa's helpers And you can be too In fact, you need to be Santa's helper now for your little brothers and sisters. That means keeping the magic alive and maybe even finding someone you can be Santa for, too. Would you like that? Jolly good. I'd bet most of you with kids told some version of this story when your little ones learned the truth. If, like me, you spent their formative years lying to them about a magic man who gives them stuff once a year. Guilt gets hold of you and you have to rationalize it somehow, right? But to be honest, it's not just Santa that we tell these kinds of stories about. For some reason, it's the same conversation we have inside about faith, religion, hell, relationships, identities, ideals, goals, dreams, you name it. We all believe in something that's not real. We find ways to tell ourselves that those really important things are real, but most of them are quite literally just stuff in our heads. Abstractions, desires, principles, things we may hope we can live up to, but they're just ideas, right? Or is there something more to it? So being the Christmas geek that I am, I was happy to find a book a few years ago that used Santa as a way to explore this idea of how we can believe in something that, on the one hand, we know isn't real, or at least not real in the way that my hummus and cucumber sandwich is real, but on the other that's deathly important to us, more real than any sandwich we've ever made. That book is called Does Santa Exist? A Philosophical Investigation by Eric Kaplan. Now, I'm definitely out of the loop, or at least, well, known loops. My loops are usually pretty niche and nerd among nerds level obscurity. So I didn't know that this book was written by someone who's got his fingers deep into American pop culture. Kaplan was one of the main writers for the Big Bang Theory, is one of the writers for Young Sheldon, and he worked on a bunch of Futurama, Flight of the Concords, and Malcolm in the Middle. So even if you don't recognize his name, odds are you've seen something he wrote. Also, I warned off the kids because the whole point of this book assumes you're old enough to no longer believe in the actual dude coming down your chimney. But I should also warn off anyone who's not into philosophy. Turns out that Eric and I share some academic philosophy geekiness, and it's probably fair to say that this episode is more about philosophy than Christmas, per se. Like the show I did on Zen a while back, Christmas here is an excuse to talk to someone who fascinates me, rather than for all of us to learn some cool folklore or something, so fair warning. But I gotta say, this was one of the more enjoyable conversations I've ever had doing this, even though we kind of ranged all over the place. We also just throw around names of philosophers at a few points, so if you ever feel the need to, like, skip ahead a few minutes to get to more Christmassy stuff, you know, feel free. But I left it all in because there are probably three people out there who'll find the anecdotes interesting, but those three people need love too, and if I'm not about the niche audience, I'm nothing. By the way, if you are one of those geeks, this will be a blast, because along the way we name check, uh, hold on, give me a list here, Heidegger, Gadamer, Hubert Dreyfus, Plato, Derrida, John Searle, Paul Ricoeur, Todd May, Gilles Deleuze, and I think I'm missing a few. Still, I hope you'll be intrigued enough to go check out his book, which has been out for a few years, but I think it really needs more love. It'll get you to think about what you mean when you say you do or don't believe in Santa Claus and many more things along the way. It'll also give you faith that at least some of the people writing big-time network shows have a bit more going on in their heads than you may assume. Anyway, it's just... it's a weird episode. Sorry I didn't fun facts about Christmas history, but I'll get back on topic next time. Book had Santa in the title. I read it, realized it was about other cool stuff I'm also into. Turns out I think the author's pretty damn cool, so we had fun talking. There. Now, I didn't really edit our conversation. Usually I cut up my talks with people to make things go in a pretty step-by-step order. With Eric, I just kind of hit record at some point because we'd just been talking for a long time and it seemed fake to go like, okay, let's pretend we just started talking. Quite unprofessional, but quite fun. So I'd initially asked him what got him interested in philosophy, and we were sharing stories about our family's religious situations growing up. He talked about how his family was very insistent about being as logical as possible, and I was talking about being raised as a Unitarian Universalist. And here we go. Them, I think part of the reason it was interesting was they were both, I think they were both raised, it was Methodist, as I recall. And for them, it was it was very much striking back against a lot of the, the things that... um they had been put through as kids. Their their families had been pretty strict. And, you know, Sunday school was always terrifying for them in the stories they tell. So to them, it was very much sort of, they were too old for the hippie movement, pretty much. But that was their way of being involved. <laughs> so
1: it's a little bit a little, like yeah. uh, cult deprogramming for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's right. And honestly, I feel like having been around Unitarians my whole life, it's often a good, it's a transition Place where the the people who stay there the whole life their whole lives in Unitarian churches are usually more people like me who were raised in it, but the vast majority of people are in those churches are coming from uh, families that have been very strict and very religious, and they're coming out of it. So you'll get a lot of people who are like, "Yeah, my whole family's Catholic and very strict, but I don't buy it," and so I found this place, and then they kind of come to terms with whatever tradition they've been raised in. And they go back with, with a sort of broader or different thing or saying, you know, that's, that's just where I feel comfortable as far as part of a community, but it may not be what I actually believe anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty normal for Unitarians, uh, for the churches, the population of it. But exactly. yeah, yeah, so, so no, but as far as the Christmas stuff, uh, you know, that actually kind of leads back to one thing growing up. The reason I got, I've always been a huge Christmas fan. And I think part of the reason was it was the one time of the year where i was encouraged to believe in magic (laughs) you know and it was in the the rest of my family was all very sort of militant humanists in a lot of ways but we still celebrated christmas and so it always kept this magic to me and it was the one time where it seemed like the whole world kind of helped confirm those beliefs a little bit that you go out and everybody's sharing the images and there's songs and stories and everybody has the same stuff and the same stories and and all the things that are wonderful that you're supposed to believe seem to actually be confirmed by the world. So right. that, that kind of stuck with me. And, and now all the strange stuff that's with it is uh, that's just added fun. because right. it's, a, it's another way to find some magic in, in that. So, so yeah, so I do, I talk to people who are into the history and there's a lot more stuff coming out now about European traditions and Krampus has gotten famous you know in America now so you'll hear a lot of stuff about the Christmas demons and Christmas devils right and, right right and talking about them but yeah so um so that's how i read your book actually just just buying up every book about christmas oh good and saw it originally and didn't honestly didn't really know what it was about but i was thrilled that it looked like philosophy and christmas cuz i think There's really only, there's one collection of, um, it's one of those, you know, pop philosophy books that they have where it's like the, you know, something in philosophy. So, yeah.
1: And does it have an interesting amount of Northern paganism in it?
0: You mean Christmas or, or when they talked about that book? Christmas. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, in fact, I think if you look at the actual traditions of, of the images and what most people do, uh, there's really more of that in the way that that American Christmas and especially the the big places in Europe where it's celebrated. You can trace a lot of the stuff way back to even Saturnalia. I mean, just official sort of Roman winter celebrations. In a lot of ways, I mean, that's where the ivy and the holly and all that comes from. Right. Um, and so, a lot of the imagery and the colors and the the types of stories are. Probably more that, but yeah, I think you know the tree is definitely the tree is an old Germanic thing Um, that still is absolutely something that uh, goes back to to different winter festivals in German speaking Europe and all the decorations, the red and green. They've got examples of those being colors all the way back to both Roman and more sort of folksy northern European things. It's hard to tell what's exactly you know true old German, you know, tribal stuff and what's Roman at this point. Cause it all got so mixed up at the time. Oh, nice. But Yeah. You know. But yeah, so your book, um, I guess we should say it's not exactly a Christmas book. It's got Santa in the title <laughs> and it's about believing in Santa Claus, but it's really more of an exercise in philosophy. And I suppose I should let you say what the origin of it was and what's going on in the book.
1: Well, I viewed it as a bit of a workbook for the reader, because I think there's an interesting sense in which everybody has things in their life that they, you might want to say they believe in and they don't believe in them, or you might want to say they believe in them sometimes and sometimes don't believe in them. Or you might want to say, believing in if you think of believing in meaning a relationship to a proposition which is either true or false isn't the best model of what's going on so so those are three different ways of talking about that and i thought well intrapersonally there are certainly things that some people in a society believe in and other people don't believe in and they have no particular good way to resolve that so both uh, inter, I used the wrong, wrong word, interpersonally and intrapersonally, there's contradiction and there is religious contradiction, whatever religion means, I'm not sure. But there's religious contradiction, both internally and b- externally between other people. And I was thinking, I wish there could be a way to discuss this and lower the, lower the temperature a little bit, make it a mm-hmm. little more of a genial and forgiving look at this, rather than who's right, who's wrong, and how do we punish the people who are wrong? (laughs) I didn't like that approach. I wanted it to be understanding why you might believe in God and not believe in God, or believe in romantic love and not believe in romantic love, or believe in the communist revolution, but also not believe in the communist revolution. So what I said was, let's talk about Santa Claus and just do a mental uh, search and replace if there's something you're more interested in addressing than Santa Claus. Now, it so happened that I had had an interesting experience because when my son Ari was very young, um, uh, we didn't teach him about Santa Claus because mm-hmm. and, and, I'm Jewish and my wife is was raised as a communist and she's a therapist and she thinks teaching children, uh, to believe in stuff that doesn't exist is going to mess them up. Mm -hmm. So we did not teach our kids to believe in Santa Claus. And then, um, I think he was four, maybe he had a friend and the friend's mother called us up and said, I'm concerned because they were going to go to the zoo and the zoo has reindeer to celebrate Christmas time, and that's going to prompt a discussion of Santa Claus. And we know that Ari doesn't believe in Santa Claus, and we don't want him telling our son that Santa Claus is not real. So we don't think they should go to the zoo together. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because this mother values her son's relationship with a being that doesn't exist, uh above a uh, Santa above uh his relationship with a being that does exist who's my son Ari. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, well, maybe I'm being a little bit uncharitable and maybe <laughs> I should think more about how I should approach someone who is a perfectly nice person who I meet and his friend the, you know, my friend and the the parent of a friend of a child of mine, how should I approach someone who will say something about Santa Claus, who I would tend to say doesn't exist and don't worry about it. Um, So I thought, why don't I get, why don't I use that as a sort of um, path through the forest and be, have a chance to take some interesting journeys around some of these concepts about belief and, non-belief and having a reason for a belief and and kind of explore philosophy and 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 sort of the philosophy of comparative religion i guess using santa as our guide
0: yeah and it i have to say like i mean i don't know if i mentioned in uh in, in this i don't necessarily put this in the podcast but um i i did a whole a whole tour of philosophy grad school before I jumped ship over to literature and I did got all the way up through the comps and everything had a had a thesis proposal and and then decided I had nothing to say <laughs> and so you, left but all of his proposal oh I was in I went to Penn State and it was so it's all continental philosophy um and it was going to be on Gadamer and R- Paul Ricoeur was yeah, my yeah, Ricoeur. my hero yeah
1: and he's the Teacher of Emmanuel Macron. So
0: that's right. That's he right. Had yeah.
1: Usual amount of real life, um, uh, applic- real life power for right. a hermeneuticist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny. And so I, I've always wondered how much of that actually filtered down because, uh, yeah, there's some, there's some dense stuff that Rakur wrote that, yeah, I, I don't know what it would mean, <laughs> especially his, his book on narrative. There was three volumes, I should say, on narrative get some, become some pretty dense things. But, um, I was
1: just discussing this. In reference to, um, well, I'll just say, in reference to Judith Butler, and a yeah. lot of people. Oh yeah, I saw
0: that she had her. She had she, an interview. Recently. Yeah,
1: it was a very good interview, and she expressed herself very clearly. And some people were making fun of her and saying, you know, she's a horrible writer. And and I said, you know, just because someone is a horrible writer doesn't mean that they're a charlatan. They might no, know no. they could write better, want to write better, and just not be able to. <laughs> oh, yeah. yep. So There's a. sometimes people get very mad when they try to read some philosophy and it's written, you know, like dirty dishwater and they're just like, they get frustrated and angry. And, mm-hmm. and I guess I feel the frustration is okay. And the anger might not be okay. Right.
0: So could be <laughs> right. That they're just not too good at it. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, being in continental stuff, we were all sort of forced to read bad writers (laughs) or at least people who were the
1: trust problem because if you're in an environment where people accept bad obscure writing as okay then the bad actor will just hide their lousy thinking behind this accepted bad writing (laughs) yeah so it's certainly it's certainly a danger you know charlatanism is a danger
0: yeah. And I, I was lucky. I was there on the sort of downhill side of things where there was definitely a movement, even within the sort of continental traditions of being like, all right, we got to sort of make things clearer and get down to back where we're actually arguing about things rather than spending all this time just trying to interpret what somebody says. Um, because like with Heidegger's stuff, there's especially some of his later things, you could spend your lifetime and it's much more like, it's more like, you know, Zarathustra with Nietzsche. It's a bit more poetic than it is actual discursive kinds of stuff so So. that's
1: my training is I come out of the Anglo-American Heidegger
0: school because you were with Hubert Dreyfus right were you over there yep because he he blurbed on your back yeah on the back of the book yeah
1: I'm the last PhD student of Bert Dreyfus oh really yeah and I come I I I know his students pretty well personally and everybody is sort of. on the job of Heidegger was clear and let's say what Heidegger said in a clear way so we can address Anglo-american readers right um, which is a somewhat quixotic ta- task, but I think it's a worthwhile
0: <laughs> oh yeah oh I agree and I was thrilled as an undergrad I found a, a guy um, whose name he's uh, his name's Todd May but he wrote who's that he, he wrote a ton of books um, especially about French post, you know, all the Frenchies um, all about them and trying to say that he wasn't necessarily trying to turn them into analytic philosophy, but he was trying to, to at least explain them in a way that was as clear as possible. And he, he did a, did a workman's job of it. I mean, it's, it's a, he wrote a lot of stuff that I thought was really pretty good, especially a whole book on Gilles Deleuze, um, who I feel like he really gets to the heart of Deleuze better than a lot of people who spent their lives, you know playing around with those ideas. But, um, but yeah, he's somebody, if you're interested in that kind of thing, he does it not with Heidegger, but with the Frenchies. Um, but he's very much doing what I think Dreyfus tried to do with Heidegger. That's good
1: good because at some some point I do sort of think, so you have created some interesting speech acts. Mm -hmm. I'd like to know what do you think is the strongest argument against what you just said? said? What is an argument? What is you? me i i I quickly lose patience for it because i said like we're all busy we all have a lot of things to do and if you want me to read some story that you're going to tell me about being you know you better make it clear to me why it matters and how i know if you're right and what it would mean if you're not right yeah Uh, Yeah. i'm not just going to like Wander off into the forest and like sit at your feet and absorb right. your vibe. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe. I mean, there's some room in this world of ours for sitting at people's feet and absorbing their vibe, you know?
0: Yeah. But you want to kind of know what they're saying before you do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Sometimes so, you
1: can't. Sometimes yeah. some people will say, and they're not wrong, I'm doing a different and better thing with my life than you are. The mm-hmm. Only way that you can get out of the worst way that you're doing your life is to hang out with me. And eventually a light will go on in your in your head and you'll um you'll start to be more like me. Um right. that if you believe in the authenticity of the seventh letter of Plato, Plato believed that.
0: Mhm. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of the Socratic way, right? Like that's one reason why Socrates asks questions and talks to people instead of just laying out a doctrine, even though whatever Plato does. Right, right. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's what you just said. I don't have the competency to address, Um, but uh, you might be right.
0: But yeah, anyway, that's one reason why I liked Ricore, because he always seemed to be somewhere, not necessarily in the analytic world, but. His approach, in fact, my master's thesis was all about how Ricoeur was basically doing what Derrida did, but clearer. <laughs> that was kind of my argument. Um, and so, yeah, so I always liked him because he was somewhere in between them. And as an undergrad, I had more analytic philosophy folk, like like professors, and then was just fascinated by all the continental stuff. And that's what, what I wanted to do was go over there. So even it was funny, even when I was in grad school, uh, they needed somebody to teach Philosophy of mind, like traditional analytic philosophy of mind, and they made me do it because I was the only person who actually had taken an analytic philosophy of mind class, um, and the one analytic guy on on faculty was gone. So it was like, oh, okay. So
1: I used to be yeah. a philosophy of mind for John Searle, at- yeah, that's awesome. So that's funny. Funny thing is about Derrida is that Bert used to be like, oh, this is just Derrida. Well, that's that's so boring. That <laughs> if you once you actually said Derrida's thesis in a way that was clear, he thought yeah. it was true but uninteresting.
0: True, Yep. I've heard that many times. Yeah. Oh, really? So that's interesting. That's that's what a lot of people will say. Yeah. I, I like
1: I like Derrida. I enjoy reading him. Mm-hmm. You know, except when I don't enjoy reading him. But but it it does make me sort of feel like it. Um, it might make philosophy less interesting at the end of the day Mm -hmm. because you're just like, Oh, well, words always change what they mean. And sometimes people don't even know what they mean. And I might not even know what I mean. And it's like, okay, well, it's hard to object to any of that. That's, that's all true. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yep. And I used to, I got to where I enjoyed Derrida more once I was just more familiar with the philosophy that he was talking about, because then it's fun. Then you're actually like, oh yeah, I've read this dialogue. Lord only knows how many times by Plato just, you know, and taught it. And now I can see what he's playing with it and doing all these fun things, but it's not necessarily making any claims, strong claims about
1: it. I Um, wish somebody would take Derrida and break the interesting insights out of the theoretical framework and just make it like one of those Derrida thoughts of the day calendars. Yeah, (laughs) he'll say interesting stuff he'll be like hey you know when uh, when people say that you know the first the most important thing about language is talking and not writing uh, that's kind of a mistake because you know when you write something it (laughs) can be something different tomorrow and just say that you know like just a series of fun little things because he's his writing is is studded with fun little things yeah yeah you find the fun little things more fun than the big picture and part of it has to do with the fact that some some really really boring people became like derrida's like chabodniks. they became mm-hmm. like his 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 boys or like his zombies in the american academy in the 80s yeah. and they were the worst they were really boring and also really doctrinaire where anything and mm-hmm. you brought up anything that like, well you know you know who had something interesting to say about that? That showed that your question makes no sense. Who, Derrida? Oh, what a right. surprise! You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So those those people were literally a pain in the neck. But I think the master was better than the disciples. Yeah, I would. not yeah. like that movie a bit about him. Although I think it's a little bit too hagiographical. It's a little bit too much like Derrida. Isn't he great? <laughs> isn't right. Good and- Doesn't he have a fun life? You know, and I would have. I'd almost have. Preferred like a, a little bit more of a down and dirty, like realistic portrait of him because he seems like an interesting dude.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. Is that the one where the the person says, "What do you have to say about love and traditional ideas that people turn to philosophers for?" And he's like, "Nothing." <laughs> like, what? I think good that's answer. yeah. That is a good answer. It's not it's yeah. not honest, but right. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but all of that was sort of a, a way to say like one thing I really like about the book is how you take all these honestly pretty heady philosophical approaches to the question and not just because of Santa, but the way that you're, you're talking about it it makes them really approachable. So it's not dry thesis. It's really saying, okay, if you're, I mean, I guess we could call it applied philosophy in certain ways that, that it's worrying about these questions and trying to find ways to deal with them and pointing out, along the way, the problems with certain approaches. And that's kind of how it's broken up by like, you have a section on logic, section on mysticism, a section on comedy, and then you get to to some of the sort of actually get to, I think where you're going with it. But I like that because you you sort of move through different ways you can deal with these problems of sort of believing in something or wanting to believe in something, but knowing that it's not literally true or or at least whatever literally true means. Um, but it's just successful. <laughs> I just wanted to say that at the very least. Did people start to respond to you and and really give you some feedback in about the issues that you were hoping that they would? Like have you had people really uh, react to the book and kind of agree with you or want to argue about it more? Um, the book
1: is very popular in China. Oh, um, for some reason that I don't know. Um interesting. I every now and then somebody will email me and be like I read your book and I really dig it. Um and they'll want to start a conversation. Those people are few and far between. Um <laughs> and when I did a uh a radio tour, one of the thing that things that surprised me was the sort of um like the sort of own the libs people Mm-hmm. Seemed to like it because they, they thought what I was saying was, heck yeah, I believe in Santa Claus. And if you don't, go to hell. Like that's how they picked up on it. Interesting. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, we can believe whatever we damn please. And if you don't like it, shut up. Like that. So they liked that. So then that was sort of the slightly Alex Jones ish, QAnon ish uh-huh. uh, side of the American religious spectrum. And then there were, you know, people on NPR, Arun Rath liked it. Um, there were there were certainly people who were sort of more simpatico with me who liked it too. Um, so, yeah, it was it was not a bestseller, but there were people who seemed to respond to it, sure.
0: That's, I would not have, it, it almost seems to me like that, that group who thinks it means we can believe whatever we want to didn't read it <laughs> or didn't understand yeah, well, exactly. Certainly it's yeah. certainly
1: possible that... Um, that they they were just handed this thing, which is like, hey, it's a guy who kind of says it's okay to believe in Santa. Let's have him on the show, <laughs> you know. Gotcha. Yeah, that could have yeah. happened. That, that's a that's a cynical and almost certainly true insight.
0: <laughs> but but yeah, but it, that's not what you're saying at all. Because by the time you get to the end of it, you've got a very much more nuanced way of thinking about belief and how you integrate beliefs in the way that you live and and what it means to to say that that you believe something so that's true
1: that's true I mean look I think um I I don't know if I believe in ghosts I certainly think there's contexts where I'll be talking with somebody and they'll be like uh you know my grandpa appeared to me and I'll be like cool maybe your grandpa appeared to you and then there'll be other contexts where people will be like um you know, I'm a ghost hunter, and hire me to get the ghost out of your house. And I'm like, no, you're not. There's no ghosts. You know, mm-hmm. um, shut up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's funny that like, um, like clearly I'm inconsistent on the topic of ghosts. On the other hand, I don't want to make fun of the guy whose grandpa spoke to him, but I also don't want to give money to the guy who's a professional ghost hunter because I think he's a charlatan, and And I don't feel like giving up either stance. Right. (laughs) You know, so until somebody can convince me that I ought to behave differently, I'm going to continue to do that and accept in certain contexts that there are ghosts and in other contexts say that there aren't any ghosts. And, and if I can come up with a great overall discursive machine that helps me do both fine, but, you know, I'm a busy guy. I don't
0: need to work out my ghost beliefs. <laughs> but I think as far as summarizing the position of where you kind of end up in the book, that's, in a nutshell, how you're talking about ghosts there is kind of also what you're saying about Santa, right? That, that yeah. in certain conditions and in certain situations, it totally makes sense to say yeah. that you believe in something
1: like I think that. that's right. And I also think um, one of the things I tried to do was I didn't want to be like, I wanted to be human and vulnerable in the book. So I said, look, I have my own way of looking at this, which is through the lens of of, uh, Kabbalah. Mm -hmm. And in Kabbalah, God has these different, uh, they call them parts theme, but they're sort of like um, gestalts or aspects or faces or something like that. And and one of them is um, judgmental and one of them is forgiving. So the way I view it is that when we're viewing um, the world as the kind of place where Santa exists, we're viewing it under the aspect of the forgiving, um, the forgiving uh, parts of God. And when we're saying, no, there ain't no Santa, we're looking at it from the aspect of the judging parts of God. And, and I sort of think that like the, the, there are four things that human beings do qua human being. They are judge, be judged, love, and be loved. And, you know, we do a lot of other things. We fly through the air. You know, if you drop us out of towers, we fall at the speed of, you know, we fall at one F M G squared or whatever it is. (laughs) Uh, And, and, you know, we, we metabolize sugar. Um, But those are not things we're doing qua humans. (laughs) <laughs> the things we're doing qua material object or qua animal or whatever, but judging, being judged, loving, and being loved are our sweet spot as humans um and, and but my point is that that's that's my take on it as a a historically and culturally embodied guy. I was gonna say subject, but I'd rather say dude or guy. Um, <laughs> I'm this embodied historically situated guy and you might have a different one and that's good. In fact, you should have a different one because if, if we were doing exactly the same thing, one of us would be redundant, presumably you, because I don't want anyone, to <laughs> but you know, it, that's, that's cool. But look at the world in different ways and, and don't kill each other. And, and that's, then and we're all good.
0: That's kind of cool. This is a smaller point, but I did want to ask about the Kabbalah, part because when, like you said, you're coming at it from at times using that Kabbalistic um, approach, but it, it seems like what's nice about the way that you talk about what Kabbalah means for you is that it sort of has built into it, that kind of, I don't want to say perspectival because I think in philosophy circles that has sort of all kinds of baggage with it, but, but it is kind of that it's almost like a little bit more of a pragmatic um, approach to the world, which says that, yeah, the world does have sort of different ways of, of being in it or approaching it or something like that. And we just move, we move between them a lot all the way. Well, Well,
1: one of the ways I like to think of it is that our relationship with the rest of the world is an erotic one that we're kind of making love with the world and the world is kind of making love with us and it's, it's pleasurable and it's creative. Um, So the idea that the way to have the best knowledge is to not care about anything, not be involved in anything and try to act as if you have no, nothing pleases or pains you and there's nothing you want is a mistake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's actually, it's more than a mistake. It's sort of a defense mechanism. Yeah. Because if you admit that you care, then your feelings can be hurt. You can be frustrated. Your heart can be broken. Um, and once we give up on the idea, this is what in the Kabbalah they call the tree of life approach. Once we sort of think, well, I'm a like a a living organism and I'm part of this ecosystem. And that includes other people who think of things in different ways and even my thinking is a sense like a green shoot that my, my head is, is sending out towards the sun, you know, and even the sun has its own deal, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. then, then I think these issues become a little bit uh, easier to deal with. Um, and you'd be like, why should two people think have two different religions? And it's like, well, why should there be an elephant and a parrot? Well, because those are two different ways of being animals. <laughs> you yeah. know, Why yeah. wouldn't there be an elephant and a parrot? Okay, well, why wouldn't there be people who are atheists and people who are theists? Well, there would be, and there are. Um, so that's what I think. I don't know.
0: That's I'm interesting. Not, it's actually- in
1: my defense, you asked.
0: I yeah absolutely no and what's fun to me is that it's I, I've gotten interested in Hinduism a lot lately and and it actually rings true with a lot of things and I I could see some people I've been reading sort of say that uh, and just instead of calling it Kabbalah call it Hinduism
1: oh yeah uh, it's very
0: if interesting you yeah. like,
1: if you look at um, Tantric Buddhism and Kashmir Shaivism in particular mm. they are darn close. To the Kabbalah,
0: that's uh, pretty okay. cool.
1: It is pretty cool
0: because um, I never—I have to admit—I know less about Kabbalah than I know about a lot of some of the other stuff. So. Yeah. And, yeah,
1: and
0: the other thing is, have you ever read the Yoga Vasista? The which one? The Yoga
1: Vasista. Uh no. Oh man, you got to read the Yoga Vasista. It's, it'll blow your mind. It's fantastic.
0: Um, All right. I think I know what that. Okay, I'm gonna gotta write it down. Okay, cool. All right. Unless it's something I know by a different name or something like that, but so yeah, when you I did like that idea of sort of an erotic relationship with the world because I do know a couple people who are going to think about that in Santa Claus and be very excited. So who are these yeah. people? Are they weird? <laughs> there are people who are listening to this or will be listening to this. Yeah, okay. who? Uh, yeah, I, I get a there's a fun cast of characters. You want to have of an
1: relationship with Santa Claus. Yeah,
0: fun. there there's I do I have gotten in. there's a lot of, when you call yourself weird something or other, you you find, you find fans of all kinds of strange things. So yeah. So people have let me know that there is a, there's a strange fetish world of holiday people out there that I had no idea existed. And, um, it doesn't surprise me now that I know, but It's yeah, it's there. Um, So, so one thing that, that we had mentioned in email and that we kind of talked about and you said might be an interesting thing to talk about was the idea of there being a kind of um, special holiday time or holiday temporality as opposed to sort of every day. And that to me is something I can definitely talk about because I think, as I told you before, I got really interested in the history of the holidays because growing up as a, a kid without much religion and and sort of not encouraged to really believe in a lot of quote-unquote magical or special things like that. The holidays were a time that was special. Nonetheless, whether or not I was told to believe in it, the way we acted was definitely different. Yeah. and
1: You know, Heidegger talks about the concept of a mood.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: And a mood, like Heidegger's basic metaphilosophical point, at least in being in time, is that we over-subjectivize phenomena and thereby misdescribe them. So we think of, well, what is a mood? It's something in my head. This is the wrong view. The Mm -hmm. wrong view is that the mood is something in my head. But if you think about it, that's wrong. Because if you go to a party, the, the mood is not in your head, the mood is in the party, and you get sort of tuned to the mood or you become open to certain phenomena because of the mood of the party. And it's not something that's in your head. It's something that that the party carries with it. Um, so a party, I mean, obviously there are Christmas parties, but a party is almost like its own kind of temporality. There's party temporality versus office temporality. And a holiday is almost like the culture as a whole decides to have a party on a particular time of the year. Um, so, the mood of a holiday is different from the mood of a work day, and uh it's got a different temporality. You experience yourself different differently different different sorts of life are open to you uh the i i I'm now on this thing which I made up last night about the judging and the the um the judging and the loving. The breakdown, the, the, the mix of loving and judging is different.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> or yeah. it's yeah. more loving, it's less judging. Um, and that's a Christmas kind of mood.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I like that description of it. And I, I've had a lot of people contact me and tell me that yeah, they they don't really know why they love Christmas so much because they're not religious or or even the 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 harder ones are the people who talk about, it. yeah, it used to be that Christmas always brought up just bad memories because I had awful family situations when I was younger. But now I find myself really being drawn to it and I don't really know why. <laughs> because I don't I don't have all these sort of good associations that you'll see. But but yet they feel like, yeah, there's something about this time that even though I don't believe any of the the stories that are going on that I, I really get into it. And that's one reason why I thought your book was so great because it's a way to start to talk about ways of you, how to believe in something, even if you don't really believe in it and and why those people might be attracted to all kinds of things about Christmas, even if they're not, if it's not something that, you know, they're not Christian or they feel silly doing something like that. Right. And, and I think that it's that, like you're saying, it's that whole environment Um, where the attitudes change and, and really, I mean, Heidegger talking to Heidegger, it's almost not just a different mood, but it's a whole, it is a whole way of being where your relationship to the world and something about the world itself that you're in changes and, and is more meaningful. I want to say
1: a Christmassy aspect of human existence opens itself to you. Yeah. Lucky, you know, you can have a horrible Christmas and, you know, people can try and force it. And that's wrong. And that's probably why those people hate Christmas, because their mom and dad hated each other, but tried to force this feeling, which wasn't there. Um, But um, yeah, there's a Christmassy side of life. And what better time to experience that than Christmas?
0: (laughs) I like that a lot, because I think that's given me a good way to talk about it with people now. So, yeah, and and that's not. I don't think that particular part is something. That, well, there are a couple of times in the book where you you mention some things like that that are are connected with with why you might still want to believe in Santa. And there are a couple of places in there where you talk about you personally starting to get attracted to the idea of Santa.
1: Oh, yeah. I think it's interesting that um, the the symbolism of a white bearded happy man is. Good, because rather than thinking of old people as being miserable, if they're actually happy and bestowing gifts on children, that's a pretty rocking way of looking at life.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: I think mean, Jerry Garcia seems to have been a, a modern avatar of Santa, right? This white-bearded guy. Yeah.
0: I Somebody sent me a picture a long time ago, and I, it was a Jerry Garcia. It was a cartoon of him, but, but with him uh, and then a Santa hat on. And I've always wanted to... Make a version of that be more like the avatar
1: that I have. Yeah, for, yeah, for okay. it Actually, would be perfect. Giving people um, LSD. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: There's the connection to the Christmas mushrooms again for all the people I know who are interested in that side. Oh, are there Christmas? There's, there's mushrooms? a whole yeah. There's a whole oh, theory.
1: Yeah, man, give me give me the thirty seconds. What are Christmas mushrooms?
0: There's a whole theory that uh, first of all, if you look at a lot of especially European old imagery, Christmas mushrooms, the little red mushroom with white dots is a very popular Christmas and New Year's thing like decoration, especially in Northern Europe. And you'll see them around here sometimes, but it's especially Northern Europe and people figured out uh, that there's also a, uh, it's basically Siberian shamanic or shamanic culture where they eat the mushrooms. And um, that's part of the, the winter, celebrations and the winter rituals is, is doing the shamanic trips during the mushroom time. But Yet, they what f-
1: else gets you high related to that kind of mushroom? What's that? The urine of someone who has
0: consumed it. You know, that's part of, so that's connected to the next part is that they also found that reindeer up in that area, instead of horses, the, the normal pack mule is really the reindeer. They eat the mushrooms like crazy. And one thing that the shamans will often do is collect the snow of those reindeer because it still has the hallucinogen in it and it gets rid of a lot of the stuff that makes pe- makes humans nauseous so drinking reindeer pee for their mushroom juice is a christmas celebration <laughs> in siberia
1: you so. know you know that tom lehrer song um hark you know hark the herald angels wrinkle hail yeah. our dear old friend chris kringle yeah Riding the reindeer across the sky. Don't stand underneath when they fly by. (laughs) But this is an excuse to do it. They do stand underneath when they fly by because you can get high from their hallucinogenic urine.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So that's part of the the
1: podcast, I (laughs) got to say. Are you familiar with the book by Wasson, R. Gordon Wasson, Soma, The Sacred Mushroom of Immortality? Yep. That is one. In fact, I'm looking over. Your name, Amanita muscaria. Yeah. Your, your Christmas friends are
0: into. Oh, that's it. And actually, there's some other people who've written on mushrooms, and, and I, I interviewed them a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'll send you a little link to it. Yeah, that that's
1: fascinating. And yeah. then you also kind of wonder whether sand, like gnomes are traditionally associated with the um, Amanita muscaria
0: mushroom. Yep. yep. And and the, the same then, color. And
1: elves... So, of course, yeah, and, playing this game, there are no rules. So.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. And and there's the, a lot of the there are pictures of some of the shaman from that area who do wear fur coats that are dyed red with often white trimming on the outside. So, of course, that's where Santa Claus and another wow. guy talks about evidence that that part of the way you get into the houses during that time of the year is you have to climb through the chimney on top because snow has covered everything. So, yeah, there's people go nuts with it. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to send you some stuff on it because right. it's, hey,
1: it's interesting. And yet, why are people who like it not interesting? I don't know. It's just a <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: yeah, yeah. So Joe Rogan too. Joe on his podcast, he he did a whole thing about that a few years ago. I think he was the one who got it popular. Yeah.
1: Who who did the podcast?
0: Joe Rogan. Oh, the, Joe
1: Rogan. Oh, okay.
0: yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. This was this was actually early in his thing, but it's it's always every Christmas it gets shown. He gets really popular again. So. Well. So I have to ask then, do uh, you celebrate Christmas now? Do you guys do any Santa Claus yes, yes. stuff? We,
1: we don't do Santa, but we do celebrate Christmas. We have a familial meal. Um, and my wife is Romanian, and there's an awful lot of Romanian uh, traditional food um, that we eat. And of course, the on December 6th, I think it is, is the Feast of St. Nicholas. And then we put candy and treats in shoes. That's great. So the that's morning, great. Yeah. In the morning after the feast of St. Nicholas, St. Nicholas has come and left candy in your shoes.
0: That's right. That's right. And a lot of my favorite old postcards are, are one showing that where St. Nicholas is walking around. Um, but it's always funny in the postcards though, because instead of setting things in the shoes, he's got like a massive bag and he's usually just dumping them on top of the shoes. So it's, it's a yeah, well, very that, that, careful that. process.
1: Um, yeah, <laughs> and we were talking about, kabbalah that um the body is like the shoe of the soul you know yeah part of the soul is in the body but um much of uh much of it is not in the body it's sort of above and beyond and within and so forth and it's always sort of intrigued me that like um like philosophy is very much about shoes and bodies because it's sort of like there's this hard shoe that needs to deal with the earth and then there's our tender foot and, and we need to get the two of them together. And I'd like to, to offer a, um, a, a plea or an apologia for the sock, which is a piece of technology (laughs) that enables the shoe and the, the foot to get along more easily. Um, and, and of course the sock is associated with Christmas as well. We hang of it course. by the, uh, we, 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 they're hung by the chimney with care and hope to take Nicholas soon. will be there.
0: You didn't know that you were a Christmas philosopher after well, all in more ways than one, not well, just, not know. just writing a book on it, but even there. <laughs> well, listen, is there anything that you've got coming out right now or anything you want to plug or tell people to look out for it
1: i want to plug other than does santa exist um well look i've got a okay here's something i had a um an essay on the new york times blog about um about my dog um and people could do a search on that i think the title of it is um uh, we need a trick to feel our griefs To feel our joy is as deep as our griefs, and people might enjoy that. Um, I mean, I'm a television writer, and I'm always in the process of of trying to get television shows up and running. But until they are up and running, I can't plug them because they might never happen. So I cannot cannot really speak to that.
0: I understand completely. I also just say, I know most of them, I think, are are five years or so older, but you've got a whole collection of short little pieces on um, Hevria.com. I don't know I, if I'm pronouncing. I have short correctly. little
1: pieces on heavier. I have short little pieces on Eric Linus Kaplan, WordPress blog. Oh yeah, your blog is great. Thank you. So I tend to put stuff there. Although sometimes I'll be like, I should be saving these up and making them a book someday. What am I putting them on my blog for? But then <laughs> instead of like in the middle of the night, sometimes I'll feel like the itch to write something, and I can't control it, so I put it on the blog. So if you like hearing people talk like this, then you can go to the blog and read things like that.
0: that's great well let's do a little fake goodbye and i'll stop the recording and then chat for just a second goodbye
1: (laughs) thank you (laughs) have a merry christmas
0: you know that's even good right there we'll just go with that let the raucous sleigh bells jingle hail our dear old friend chris kringle driving his reindeer across the sky don't stand underneath when they fly by Just listen to two people who spent the better part of a decade being trained in the one forum in the world that's supposed to teach you to be as critically logical and rational as possible, and we made the wildest connections between disconnected things like Kabbalah and Santa, psychedelic mushrooms, and German phenomenology, but I think this was my favorite conversation I've had since starting the show. Eric, you're welcome back anytime. Doesn't matter the topic. We'll find some way to mix it with Christmas, and we can just Go. I'm also going to go watch all of Futurama now. I watched it, like, back when it was on, but I've never done a binge. I think it's time. So, well, that was awesome. If you still like me and like what I do, you can support me on Patreon. Go search patreon.com weirdchristmas. Got a couple new signups since last time, but I don't really know if they wanted to share their names or not because the back end of Patreon is kind of weird, but thank you, truly. You can also give donations in increments of $3 of the price of a coffee at ko fi.com, ko fi.com slash Weird Christmas. Links to both spots are up at weirdchristmas.com. If money isn't your thing, but you want to help out, even a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app is wonderful. And if you tell me you did it and want a weird Christmas podcast sticker, send me a DM, I-M, P-M, whatever, or an email at weirdxmas at gmail.com. Thanks again to Eric Kaplan, who you'll find online as Eric Linus Kaplan, uh, for talking to me about all kinds of stuff. Links to his blog and Twitter account are on the website, or just search Eric Linus Kaplan. The book again is called Does Santa Exist? A Philosophical Investigation, and I hope you'll check it out. The next show will absolutely be the stories, I promise, so everyone who's asking, yes, it's almost done. But this year's just been hard to decide and hard to get all the pieces together, but it's coming. But until that one's done, take care of yourselves, folk. Especially watch out for the big man, and don't let Santa stuff you in his bulging, sweaty sack.
1: Oh, hello there. I didn't see you come in, which is odd because I set up this microphone just to record. I'm Tim Babb from the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast, and I'd like to invite you to join us every month as we talk about the traditions, the music, the movies, the food, and the fun of the merriest holiday on earth. Plus, you'll help us answer some questions like, what is the greatest version of Jingle Bells? Bing Crosby. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. What is the best Christmas food? Well, everybody knows that one. Hey. (laughs) Imaginary listener, it sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. Can you be quiet? If you give away all the answers, they're not going to listen to the show. All right, Sorry. Anyway, that's the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. New episodes on the 25th of every month, wherever you get your podcasts, or at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com.